Someone wrote a whole book, but it may be too much, so we'll break it down fast, cause you're in a rush. It's Dustin and Katie can brief. Dustin and Katie can brief. Word. <laughs> hey everybody, this is Dustin. And this is Katie. And you're listening to Dustin and Katie can brief. Yes, we can. Yes, we can? We can brief. Oh yeah, we can brief. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were going all Obama for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> So this month, we are reading a Christopher Pike book, right? Yes, Katie? by popular demand. And this one is called? Last Act. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and get into the cover here. Awesome. The front cover here, it, what I love, it says, um, it's the author of Remember Me and Final Friends, which I got the Final Friends trilogy recently, and I want to I read it. So no spoilers, anybody. Anyway, on the front cover, there is a girl or a lady in a dress on a stage with a spotlight on her. And she's got a smoking gun in her hands. And it says, the stage is set for murder. Yup. So, now we're going to go to the back cover. It was only a high school play until death walked on stage. Melanie was the new girl in town, a little lonely, a little bored. Then she auditioned for the school play and won the starring role. Suddenly she had a whole gang of exciting friends. But these friends shared something that Melanie did not know. Something from the past. Something so terrible that none of them would ever talk about it. Until after the play's opening night, when the police came for the body, and for Melanie. Last act. Yep. So, I'm gonna go right into this. Like I said, this is Christopher Pike. This is by popular demand. Um, He was one of the huge YA authors of the 90s. And I'm actually very wishy-washy on Christopher Pike books, because I generally speaking, don't love his particular brand of Supernatural, but there are several of his that are just straightforward horror tales, and this is one that I really loved back in the day because I am a sucker for anything having to do with theater. Yes. So this one actually came out in 1988. Wow. Yep. We open with Melanie Martin saying she hates school. Well, who doesn't? Right. She just moved to Careville, a fairly rural, apparently fictional town in Iowa, the past spring after her parents' divorce, but she didn't make any friends then. And two weeks into the new school year, she still hasn't. She works at a diner on the edge of town and wishes that she were still back in San Francisco. Sure, girl, until you have to move out and pay rent. (laughs) The girl sitting next to her, Susan Trells, is clearly having problems with the math assignment she's working on. So Melanie pulls out a piece of scratch paper, writes down the solutions to the problems, and flicks it onto Susan's desk. So that's one way to make friends. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. After class, Susan introduces herself properly and indicates that they should have lunch together. They're eating and chatting, and Susan motions towards Mark Hall, the most handsome guy in school, of course, who will be starring in a school play that Susan will be directing. Melanie says that they never had guys like him in her drama club at her old school, and Susan just pounces on this information. Mm. So Susan introduces Melanie to Mark, and they briefly discuss the play, which is called Final Chance. And Susan says, it's a mystery, sort of. The audience knows who the villain is, but the characters don't. And I was just like, okay, because isn't that every play? Yeah. Well, no, no, it's, no, it's not. You have real mysteries, you know, yeah. like arsenic and old lace and stuff like that. Sure. You don't know really what's going on. And, you know, and, but no, it's not a mystery. It's, I mean, a mystery for the characters. But exactly. It's more and of like, a thriller. Right. Yeah. So I was, I was just kind of confused by that description but um we find out that mark used to play football but he doesn't anymore 
And Susan tries to convince Melanie to ask Mark to the upcoming Sadie Hawkins dance. Susan also introduces Melanie to Rindy Carpenter, who Melanie already knows because they were in a fender bender a few months prior. Susan invites Melanie to try out for the play by telling her that as Melissa, she'd get to break Mark's heart, and Melanie promises that she'll think about it. So the following Monday, Melanie shows up to the audition, and she meets Jeremy and Tracy, who are also in the play, and Carl, the stage manager. The role comes down to Melanie and another girl named Heidi, and Melanie gets the part, and Heidi is pissed. <laughs> because she has to go back to her grandfather's. <laughs> hey, it's hard out there in the Alps. Oh, no. Uh, Susan gives Melanie a copy of the play, minus the last act. The play was written by Stan Russell, copyright 1949, and Mark, Jeremy, and Susan found it in a used bookstore in Kansas City. Okay. Okay. That's just a random, let's do this random play I found. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of cool. It's but neat. Yeah. Because yeah. it's probably. Assuming you can get rights to it, it doesn't have rights to be bought. Right. Exactly. So that night in bed, Melanie reads the first two acts of the play, and she's impressed and confused by it. The first rehearsal is on Wednesday, and Susan tells Melanie that Rindy is playing Rhonda, who is supposed to be her character's best friend, but her character is apparently in love with Rhonda's husband and shoots Rhonda at the end of Act 2. So they go through the rehearsal, and everything seems to be coming together. Mark offers to give Melanie a ride home, and on the way, they decide to go to Pizza Hut for dinner, and over dinner, Melanie asks Mark to the Sadie Hawkins dance. Product placement. Right? And I was just so excited because I'm like, 1988 Pizza Hut? Mm. That is amazing, yes. amazing stuff. So I, I was, I needed to I'm so that. jealous of them going to Pizza Hut right I now. I know. <laughs> Especially 1988 Pizza Hut. So they go to the dance and they have a good time. And Jeremy spikes the punch. And, you know, it's high school shenanigans. And... Um, after the dance, Susan, Melanie, Mark, and Jeremy all go to the reservoir, which is a popular hangout like you always have in these books, mm -hmm. because Jeremy wants to visit the ducks. <laughs> and because this is a brief, I can't really go into Jeremy as much as I'd like, but he's a real character and he would be super exhausting to be around, but he's fabulous to read about. Oh my god. We learn that Mark's best friend had an accident of some sort and Rindy was his girlfriend. So when Mark drops... Wait, wait, wait. Her name is Rindy? Rindy. How do you spell that? R-I-N-D-Y. Oh, God. It's like Mindy with an R. Yes. Ugh. Sounds uh, like Rindy. Like a rind. Right. I'm just assuming it's Rindy. 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 I don't want to say Rindy. Either way, it's yeah. horrible. Go yeah. ahead. So when Mark drops her off later that night, Susan gives her the last act of the play and tells her to start memorizing. So in the last act... Hey, that's the title of the book. Oh, she said it. Right. Melissa, Melanie's character, dies because Charles, Mark's character, tricks her into telling the truth about killing Rhonda. And Melissa blows her brains out in disgrace with a gun that isn't even loaded with real bullets. This is just really violent for a high school play. It is. It is. We zoom forward three weeks to opening night. And Rindy and Melanie are in a dressing room getting ready when Heidi walks in. Remember the girl who did not get the part. She's pissed grandfather sent her back. This is true. She left the Alps. She's, she's arrived at the play. Melanie hasn't spoken with her since the audition. She's claiming that Susan told her she could have all the free tickets she wanted to opening night, and Heidi wants ten tickets. <laughs> so, <laughs> really? Like, um, I really don't have that much pool. <laughs> yeah. Susan gives her four and tells her to leave. Ah, here. Well, then you get four. <laughs> and as Heidi's leaving, she bumps the box of blanks that Susan's holding and bullets go everywhere. 
Susan and Melanie pick them up, and Susan tells Melanie that she wants her to take full responsibility for the gun and not to load the revolver until after the first act. The first act goes fairly well. A couple of opening night flubs, like you have. And during the intermission, Melanie talks with Mark and loads the gun with three blanks. Then comes the end of the second act, and Melanie shoots Rindy three times in the chest as per the script. Melanie notices that Rindy doesn't land on her side as she normally did in rehearsal, but on her back. At this point, Melanie has to run backstage and tear off her gloves and return to the scene of the crime and plead her ignorance. As she gets back on stage, Mark, as Charles, says she's dead. But, as I'm sure you've already guessed, Rindy is actually dead. <laughs> she's dead. She's dead. <laughs> no, no, no. She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> she's dead. We cut to the police station, where Melanie is sitting in a jail cell after being placed under arrest. The next day, she talks to a detective and goes over the facts, stating that she checked prior to loading the gun to make sure that they were blanks. The detective informs her that it was not a blank, but a wad cutter that killed Rindy. A wad cutter? A wad cutter. I don't know what that is. Is it's that a certain type of bullet? Yeah. I don't, I don't, this is how ignorant I am about guns, people. Sorry. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, she tells him that there is a point during the play when the gun was unattended, and when she checked the bullets, all that she was doing was making sure that the shells were flat-headed. He tells her that it was the second shot that killed Rindy, and that Melanie's fingerprints were on all of the shells. Melanie mentions the incident with Heidi and helping Susan pick up the bullets that were dropped. The detectives believe that a wad cutter was accidentally placed in her box of blanks, and that she loaded it without realizing it. Melanie's mother bonds her out and gives her the name of an attorney, and this attorney immediately thinks she's guilty. Wait, her own attorney thinks she's guilty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of, like, it's it's sort of a big thing, because, like, Melanie's like, this woman thinks I'm guilty. But I didn't do that. Yeah. So Melanie goes to observe the funeral at a distance and ends up talking to Rindy's brother Carl, the stage manager of the play. She asks Carl about Clyde, Mark's best friend, and Carl tells her that Clyde's in a hospital paralyzed because there had been a car accident and Rindy was driving. Hmm. As a result, a lot of people dislike Rindy, which means that this suspect list is definitely growing. <laughs> However, in the meantime, Melanie goes before the judge to see if there's enough motive to charge her with Rindy's murder, and turns out there is. So she goes to school the next day. Why? I don't know. Well, I don't. I think at this point I'd have noped right out, but I'm clearly not a character in a YA novel, so here we are. She goes to school, and she talks with Susan and lets her know that she's on her list as a suspect, and Susan's like, yeah, I should probably be at the top of that list because you wouldn't even be in this situation if it weren't for me. Um, okay. Right? That's a little weird to say. Yeah. So she then tracks down everyone else on her list, Heidi, Tracy, the guy who sold her the blanks she used for the gun, Mark, who is less than pleased to see her, and finally Jeremy, who doesn't leave his house anymore except to go to the cemetery. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so ridiculous. She finds out that Jeremy had someone film the opening night of the play, and he's acting super squirrely about things. Turns out, the beginning of the tape is from opening night, but the murder scene on the tape was from dress rehearsal. Why? Oh, and also, there are two guns, and Jeremy still has one of them. Ah. Curiouser and curiouser. At this point, she just goes ahead and adds the playwright to her list of suspects. <laughs> and goes to Kansas City to visit the bookshop where they initially bought the play. There, she learns that the copy of the script they bought was old and dusty, 
but the other copy still at the store is much newer as it's a Xerox copy. So she buys it, and on her way home, she calls the registrar the registrar of copyrights in Washington, D.C. Like, girl is putting in work. My God, this is a lot of... That's a lot more work than a high school student would ever put into something like well, this. Well, I mean, she suspected of murder. Well, so, yeah, but, you know, when your back's against the wall. I wouldn't like have that. been that smart to think of all this stuff. I wouldn't in high either. School. So, she learns that the play is currently in the public domain. So, don't have to worry about that pesky rights thing. And also, that Final Chance was never registered. And the playwright has no published works that they're aware of. Huh. Yeah. So, she talks to the detective that night and tells him that she thinks Melissa killed Rindy. Melissa is her character in the play. Okay. Okay. And the detective is rightfully confused, but she says she thinks they've been going at this all wrong and that she wants to re-perform the play with Susan in the role of Melissa and herself in the role of Rhonda. Okay. Are you following? Yes. Okay. The detective pulls some strings and makes this happen. Okay, sure. Why not? Like you do. Yeah. We're just going to switch roles around and even though there's an investigation. Yeah. Whatever. So 10 days later, they perform the play again. To a full audience. Yes. Oh, my God. At the end of Act 2, Susan shoots Melanie, and then they begin Act 3, which has never been seen since Rindy was killed at the end of Act 2. Ah. The last act of the play is about discovering who the murderer is. In the play, they trick Melissa into confessing by essentially telling her that Rhonda is alive, which isn't true, but she confesses anyway and kills herself. After the play, Melanie and the detective both decide to sleep on their ideas, but that night Melanie has a dream about Rindy. She wakes up to the phone ringing, and it's the detective asking her to meet him at the station that afternoon with her father. Susan calls Melanie to see if she can help her and Mark strike the set. Melanie goes to the school, where she tells Susan that she thinks Rindy arranged things so that she would be killed. But Melanie doesn't actually believe that. She's there investigating... And when she begins to feel incredibly uncomfortable about things, she tries to leave, and Susan pulls a gun on her and tells her that this one is not loaded with blanks. What? Turns out, Susan is Melissa. And also Stan Russell. Each of them were characters in the play. Ah. Each of this friend group were all characters in the play. This was all a ploy to kill Rindy for paralyzing Clyde, And I was just like, damn, girl, overkill much? I know. It's a pretty elaborate plan, honestly. One that ended with Susan shooting Rindy, switching out the guns on stage in the dark, and letting Melanie take the fall for all of it. Turns out that Susan was actually in love with Clyde and hated Rindy just for existing, basically. Susan tells Melanie everything because she intends to kill Melanie and make it look like a suicide. But Melanie has Jeremy's second gun. And there's a struggle, and Melanie is sure that Susan's about to shoot her when someone says, Hello, Susie. And it's poor paralyzed Clyde. Oh. He read the script and figured everything out. He's like, oh no, this is what she's going to do. Yep. He tells them that Rindy was not driving that night. He was. The accident was never her fault. She took the blame and switched places with him because her family is rich and Clyde didn't have insurance. Aww. Yeah, so she's actually just a really good person. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That's a horrible name. Right, right. Well, I mean, now that you know she's rich, does Rindy make sense? Rich Rindy. Yeah. So Clyde finally asks for the gun, but she doesn't give it to him. Instead, she presses it to her head like she's performing her own last act of the play. But at the last minute, she shoots up and then collapses unconscious on the stage. She shoots up. 
Oh, like, shoots upwards. Up okay. toward the ceiling <laughs> instead of at her head. Yeah. So then we get an epilogue where Melanie is discharged after spending a week in the hospital from her injuries. Mark picks her up and brings her flowers. They go to meet Jeremy at the reservoir because Jeremy likes the ducks. <laughs> Susan is awake after being in a coma. She's going to be okay, but she's still cray. They get to the, res- the reservoir and Jeremy and Clyde and Carl and her detective are all there. And it turns out the detective suspected Susan from the beginning, but he couldn't put it all together. He finally figured it out because of the bullets. Susan had disguised her appearance, but not her voice Mm. when she went and bought the bullets. And then Carl takes a group picture of them all, and they all live happily ever after, except for Rindy. (laughs) Because she did. Because Rindy did. And probably Susan, because Susan Cray. Yeah, true. That's the book. Well, thank you, Christopher Pike. Right? I love it. That was very, a lot of, it got confusing for a minute. There's a lot of characters yeah. and I wanted to keep it brief. So I, there, I mean, there's obviously a lot more stuff that I didn't talk about, but go read the book. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. Read the book, people. God, yeah. we can't do all the work. I mean, we, we can't. Well, that was kind of the That's whole kind point, of our but, job. But, but you know, if you would like to know more, pick up the book. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much, Katie. And everyone, we hope you will join us next time for another episode of Dustin and Katie Can Brief. Bye, guys. Someone wrote a whole book, but it may be too much, so we'll break it down fast, because you're in a rush. It's Dustin and Katie Can Brief. (laughs) Dustin and Katie Can Brief. Word.